On this week's episode, we dive deep into IRS audits and the risk of getting audited. So we're going to talk about the different audit rates for the varying income levels as well as business returns, the IRS statute of limitations to audit you, and five ways to reduce your audit risks. So as always, if this episode helped you or brings you value, please do me a favor, share it with a friend. Thank you and enjoy the show. Welcome to Build Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast dedicated to helping fitness entrepreneurs build wealth by saving taxes and growing their money. Each episode will break down different strategies in the areas of business, tax, and retirement planning specifically for your coaching business. Disclaimer, the topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making any changes to your financial or tax situation. Now here's your host, certified financial planner and tax advisor, Pat Darby. Hey, what's going on, everybody? If you're listening to this week, I think we'll probably be running a little bit delayed. Normally, we release on Wednesdays. I think this one's probably going to release on Thursday. And the reason for that is because this one is took a little bit more research. So before we dive in, if this is your first time listening, welcome. Appreciate you joining. And there's basically two episode formats. This one, like a solo where I can kind of go deep on a topic that is helpful and relevant to you as a fitness coach, where you can dive deep into finance, tax, business, things that I have an expertise in to give you action steps and processes. And the second format is when we bring on a guest who has skill sets that are different than mine that can explain what they're doing or specific topic areas that, that they have expertise in that you can learn from. Or they do something similar to yourself and they talk about what they're doing right, what they're doing to differentiate themselves and things like that. So again, today's a, a solo episode. And this one really, the reason I was running late on it is because it took me a little more research. There's so much, so much fake news out there from the left and the right, especially when it comes to the Inflation Reduction Act and everyone's getting nervous about the IRS getting additional funding. And I'm not happy about that either. I'll just start off the show like for people who listen to my social media or on this podcast. I don't hide the fact that I'm very much opposed to all the regulation and taxation that typically falls on business owners, especially us small business owners. So I'm very critical of a lot of the tax proposals that have come from this administration and the Democratic Congress was very happy when Build Back Better died because as if you've listened to the prior episodes, there were some very important tax strategies and retirement planning strategies that I try to help my clients with and you as well if you end up ever reaching out and, and needing some help on that side. There was a lot of legislation in there that would have killed some very effective tax loopholes that not just our good tax strategies for you, but also allow you to empower your own retirement. So I'm not going to dive down that rabbit hole, but I just want my tax and political beliefs to be fairly obvious because I don't, I don't really care if you have opposing views than me because I'm more on the data side. So I'll vote for anybody who's going to try to lower my taxes and make life easier for me as a business owner, left or right. At the moment, that's 
really coming down more on the right. So where, where I'm going with this is today, since everyone's so nervous about audits, rightfully so, and again, the, the challenge, and this is why I started off saying, you know, the left and the right media both seem to have an agenda, but I know a lot of people in my camp who are more right-leaning, they're worried about the weaponization of the IRS. And I think that's based on prior history. Maybe that's a pretty fair thing to be worried about, but either way, we are obligated, regardless of this, to, to dot our I's and cross our T's so that if that day comes when you do get audited, or if, hopefully not when, if you get audited, you win. Like It's not gonna be fun regardless if you win or lose, but you wanna have all your shit together. So I wanna dive into, the, the IRS releases a data book. It was released a couple of months ago, and I wanna give you the data on, on what happens inside of the IRS. Regardless of, again, like the media is gonna inflate this, depending on your, if you're left or right, you're probably not a huge fan of me if you're very light left leaning, but that's cool. If you are left leaning and you're listening, thank you, I appreciate it, welcome. Again, I try to just give people information. So the, the IRS data book, was released. And I, that's what I'm going to read you the information from so that it can guide your decisions and also maybe alleviate some of your fears because the numbers aren't as scary as I think people think they are. So anyway, this was released in May, the end of May, and it includes data up to September, 2021. <clears throat> now I'm going to read most of the data from 2017. And the reason for that is when you're a, a higher income earner, they typically audit you towards the end of your statute of limitations. That's just the way the stats work out. So meaning when they release data from 2021, even from like, let's go say year 2020, cause that's completely over. People filed, the IRS is starting their processes. The audits for the higher earners likely won't begin until they hit that three year mark. So I'm gonna talk about statute of limitations towards the end of this podcast, but I just want, that's why I'm going back to the data that's a few years older because it it's more complete data because of that three-year tail that is relevant to all of us who file. And it's gonna, and I'm gonna talk about why that's relevant and how you can make strategic decisions with your tax advisor. Okay, so some interesting information, again, interesting to me, a nerd. In 2021, 264 million returns and the IRS collected $3 trillion. They collected 4.1 and they refunded 1.1. So they netted about 3 trillion. And all these audits are basically getting done by in the, they say the frontline revenue agents are like 6,500, but I believe there's like 30,000 total in the examinations. But I'm going to dive into that in the end, but so just before we get into there, there's, there's basically two types of audits that, that can happen. They're going to send you a letter and they call those like correspondence audits. And then that's about 78% of the audits that are, that are happening right now. The other 22% are what they call field audits, basically the in-person. Those are what I think more people are scared of, but statistically you're more likely to just get audited via mail. So let's dive into the data. And, and this is what I think is interesting and, and really helpful for you to understand. So one of the highest audited tax returns 
are people that are claiming they have no income. That has a 6.8% audit level or audit rate. So that's pretty high. So that's, again, you want, you want to make sure you're not, if, if, I mean, obviously if it's true, then do what's true. But this is one of the reasons that you probably don't love it. If your accountant is getting you down to zero, because that's a fairly high audit zone you're in. I didn't write down the data for that. I'm quickly scrolling back to it. Yeah. Page, page 52. I've been staring this thing for so long. I sadly have a few of the pages memorized. Not that many people filed zero. Only 700,000 people did that, but 6.8% of them got audited because of it. So now the next one that's higher than you would think is people making between a dollar and $25,000 of profit. That's most people because that was about 52 million people filed that way. And 300,000 of them were audited for 0.6%. So again, that's, that's fairly high. And you can see sort of the trend there is you're, if you're saying that you make so little money, it's probably capturing some attention. Now, I think a lot of the people listening are going to be in this, in the next few scenarios. If you made between a hundred and 200,000, only a 0.4% audit rate. If you were 200 to 500, again, 0.4%. Now, so six in that 200,000 to 500,000, 6.7 million people filed that way and 20,000 of them got audited. Now we jump up. Now we talk about where most people are aspiring to be and above 500,000 to a million, about 1.1 million people filed that way. 10,000 got audited. And that brings that number to about 0.9%. Now we, it basically doubles once you go above that threshold. If you're making between a million and five million, half a million, 500,000 people in the United States filed that way, and about 9,500 of them got audited, bringing the number to about 1.8%. Okay, now here's where it's important for all the crap I always talk about. And if it doesn't pique your interest because you're like, hey, I'm going to save tax dollars, because maybe you're saying, well, I would love to save tax dollars, but that's a headache and I probably need additional help in my business. We're talking the S-corp return. So again, I've talked about this before, save taxes, lowers your self-employment taxes, ton of perks, but there are additional things you need to do. Most likely you need to bring on bookkeeping because there's some nuances to how you bookkeep for an S-corp. And most likely you're going to have someone file that business tax return for the S-corp because again, you could probably try to do it yourself, but I wouldn't recommend it. And most, most accountants are not cheap to do it. Probably you're going to be looking between a thousand and 2000, depending on the, the person doing it. You might find someone a little bit lower than that, but on average budget that, but here's the, why it's important. 4.7 million S corp returns were filed last year. I'm sorry. These are 2017 numbers. I apologize. So if, I, if along the way I've been saying last year, I meant 2017 for all these numbers. Again, I did that because it gave that three-year audit trail to come to completion. 4.7 million S-Corp returns were filed. Only 7,500 of them got audited. 0.2%. And that number is, is one of the reasons 
one of the reasons that I, I highly recommend people switching to the S Corp because you want that lower audit rate. You want all the business complexity inside of that business entity versus on a Schedule C, basically putting it all on your individual tax return. Now, here's where there's some planning that doesn't get talked about often that is hopefully going to be value for you. So take take out your business, for instance, because you may be running that. Again, it's an operational business. Hopefully your tax advisor is like, hey, let's do S-Corp. Cool. Now, here's what's cool. Partnership returns. So this is now maybe you're talking about like your real estate, things like that. You might be doing something with like a spouse. And typically people, an accountant might say, well, just you don't need to do a partnership. Just put it on individual return, blah, blah, blah. But partnerships fall under a similar category as S-Corps. 3.9 million were filed partnership. So back, let me back up. If you're a partnership, you, you fall into that same camp of the S-Corps, like a kind of a pain in the ass. Like you got to, it fills out its own business tax return, partnership return. So it has a lot of the same similar deadlines and all that stuff. But so people sometimes try to avoid that because it does add cost. But if you have complexity, maybe in your real estate, maybe you're making a lot of money, whatever it is, 3.9 million partnerships were returns were filed in 2017. Only 4,600 got audited, 0.1%. So again, if you're if you have complexity and maybe that's driving your income up in a good way, talk to your tax advisor about, again, maybe you and your wife split the equity and you form a partnership in some of your, your real estate. Again, you're, you're trying to do things intentionally to clean up your tax return and lower your your audit risk. And again, there's going to be some ancillary costs to that because again, your accountant will be filing separate business returns for the S corp or separate business returns for partnerships, but it may be worth it. And if you consolidate things, it's over time, it's, it's going to get a little easier for you, but I just want to emphasize that again, you, as you see that your income rising on the individual side, your audit rate goes up. But moving some things into the business returns where the audit risk is lower, you're going to do yourself a, a favor there. So let's talk about the statute of limitations because that's that's very important. And that's one of the reasons I, I said I'm looking at the 2017 data because the 2020 data and the 2021 data is not complete. So what are the statute of limitations? Like after you file your return, how long does the IRS have to come after you? The short answer is generally three years from when either you file or adjust. So that's a critical component to it, but I'll get back to that after I read the other two. So generally, if you've more or less done, did things the proper way, they have three years to come back, to come after you. It's six years if they feel there's been substantial omission of income. So more than 25% of your income, they feel you did not report to them. Now they have up to six years. And then this is the bummer for people who are, well, I shouldn't say the gray area that are just outright not following the rules. There's no limitation. If they feel you filed a return that was fraudulent, if you willfully evaded taxes 
or you just didn't file at all. There's no limitation on how far they can go back if, if again, if they think you're outright cheating. So that's that's obviously people listening to that. There's no strategy around that. Just file your return and and don't evade taxes or do anything illegal. Again, a lot of accountants are in the gray zone with you, and that's our job. But if you're just outright cheating, the IRS has no no handcuffs on themselves on time frame. But let's talk about the general three-year rule. Because this is going to be important because you have essentially three years from when you file. So if you're late, you know, like your deadline might have been October with extension. But if you're late on getting it to them, that that window starts there. But now here's what's critical. And this is always a a tug of war, for lack of a better term. Actually, that's a terrible analogy. It's just something you need to consider when you are amending your return. So... Hypothetically speaking, you did last year H&R Block. Nothing against them, nothing negative. I've just picked them out of a hat. And so you DIY'd you, or you TurboTaxed or whatever. You, you did all your taxes essentially by yourself last year. You sit down this year with, I'll just say my team. It's a little self-serving. But you sit down with professionals and they say, oh, you missed this, you missed that. This year, we're going to get that all filed away. But hey, last year, you missed this, you missed that. If you had done it correctly, maybe you would have saved $10,000 in taxes. I'm just making these numbers up. These numbers up. In theory, you'd be like, oh, no brainer. Let's go back and do it. The other part would be you're one year removed. You're one year closer right now to that three-year window of... And then conversely, whenever you amend, you open that three-year clock again. So I'll give you a, a more extreme example in case that one was sort of convoluted. If it was like two or three years ago, and maybe you did something on that return that was really not appropriate, like maybe you juiced up your your depreciations on something, or you deducted a ton of travel and like things that things that you've done that maybe a lot of accounts are like, oh, geez, you know, let's just, let's let sleeping dogs lie on this one. Even though you're, you just found out you probably could have got a $10,000 refund. You have to sit there and, and weigh the pros and cons with your tax advisor, because yes, you can go back and make the adjustments that you need to get your refund. But if you've got some dicey things on there that maybe you're really in that gray area, you might let sleeping dogs lie because if you go back and amend, you just open that three-year window all over again for the IRS. So that's always the, I guess, the tug of war of when you go back and change and amend a return is because you don't necessarily want to start the clock all over again for the IRS. So that's how the statute of limitations work. So now let's dive into ways to reduce audit risk. Now I'm going to give you five. It's probably going to be closer to six, but I want you to, to sort of understand of like what, what you can do to do your best to like not have to deal with the situation. So the first one's fairly straightforward, but it probably isn't common sense. Don't use round numbers. So just like, I guess, in grade school or whatever, if you, you don't 
you want to show your work or at least imply that you've done real work. So you don't want round numbers on a tax return because it looks like you're just guesstimating. When you use precise numbers, it gives the perception, which should be reality, that this is based on like calculations and you're you're submitting real numbers. The second one, and I've talked about this a lot and I, I want to expand on it if, if I can. File on time. So there's two components to filing taxes. There's filing, which is just paperwork, and there's paying, which is obviously sending them money. But they're not the same. And the IRS tr treats them differently. The IRS wants your paperwork by the time you have to file it with extension, even if you do not have the money. The IRS has a number of ways where you can get them the money later. I mean, they're going to charge you penalties, they're going to charge you interest, but they have installment plans. They work with you, but don't avoid a file just because you don't have the money. And this, and just as a side note, because I've talked about it on other episodes, but if you're not aware, when you file an extension, so for next year in April 15th, I assume it's on the 15th. Sometimes if it falls on a holiday, it's like the 18th or something, but Assuming the 15th next year, I haven't looked yet, is a weekday. On the 15th, whether you file or whether you file an extension, you still have to pay what you owe on April 15th. So that's why I'm a big proponent on you have to get an idea of where your taxes are because you have they want their money on the 15th, even if you file an extension. So let's say you file that extension. Now we're rolling into October. So again, we're about to come into the busy season again for accountants in the next few weeks or so. When you file that return on the 15th, again, you just need to make sure you don't miss the filing deadline because that's gonna increase your audit risk. So again, even if you don't have the money, get, get the extension filed or the paperwork filed to reduce your audit risk. Now, number three, I sort of mentioned that above when I, when I emphasized again and again, the cool part about an S corp, the schedule C, which is what most people are, because that's basically anyone who's a sole proprietor or one member LLC, they put all their business information on what's called schedule C. So it just sits there right there on your personal tax return, all the details of all your revenue, all your expenses, and it's all there. I guess it's messy in the eyes of the IRS, but it is audited at a much higher level than having all that business information inside of a partnership return, inside of a schedule, or sorry, an, an S Corp business return. So it's important to get that, to avoid that if you can. Now, I am not saying avoid that at the detriment of your profit margins. Meaning if you're just starting out in business, like I talk about this a lot. I don't know if I've, but I talk about a lot of my social media, which is Instagram is at the Pat Darby. But I talk about this a lot in that don't let people talk you into an LLC if you're just starting out. There's a lot of perks to it. I love it. I recommend it over the long term. But if you're just getting started and you're not really making much money, and depending on where what state you live in, it could be very expensive to, to do that. A sole proprietor and a one-member LLC, you're still using that same Schedule C form, which again, we just talked about has higher audit risk, but don't let that 
drive you into getting like a, an S corp and things like that. Because again, you're also in the lower, the lower income levels where audit rates are fairly low. And so I don't want the tax audits that are probably scaring the shit out of people, especially with all the new budgetary things coming to the IRS. I don't want that to, to really drive the conversation for people who are just starting out and they're like, oh, like don't, don't make the audit risk the reason you sh you're spending thousands of dollars on an S corp and professionals because you should really be pro focusing on profit at that point in your business. Okay. So number four, issue your 1099s. This is really important. And the IRS has, has made it clear they're getting more strict on this because you can look at what's happening with like Venmo, PayPal, Cash App, all that. Like they are really, they want to see 1099s. So there's two things that are important there. One, if you're getting 1099s, you have to report that income because the way a 1099 works, if, if you've never filed one, you send it to two people like as the business owner. So when I create my 1099s, it goes to two places. One copy goes to the IRS. One copy goes to the vendor that I contracted and, and paid. So the IRS knows what it, money has been sent to you. So don't avoid giving them like when you have W2s or 1099s, this is part of what they talk about, like in, in terms of like when you are evading taxes, because they know that information because the person who gave, gave you that W2, the person that gave you that 1099, they're obligated to send a copy to the IRS. And why do they do that? Because on their end and you, the business owner on your end, that's your deduction. So let me give you a more direct example of that. If I, if I have someone do some marketing work for me and I pay them $10,000, if I don't issue them a 1099, I am not able to write that off as a business expense because the IRS would be like, well, how do you know this was a business expense? Or like, how do they know? Like, what record keeping do I have on my end as the business owner that it was a business expense? So you're doing yourself a disservice by helping out your buddy or whoever and not issuing them a 1099. So issue your 1099. So if you ever are audited, you legitimately don't lose those deductions. Okay. Number five, and this one gets into really, you got to use your common sense, but cause these things are legit and you should use them, but don't abuse them. And that is excessively deducting your home office and also like dining and travel. Again, you should be deducting these things. Don't let anybody tell you not to deduct those if they're legit. If you're legitimately dining out, seeing clients, prospects. And again, this is why I talk about you doing your meeting minutes. Do you have a board of advisors? Same with travel. Just, you know, what's excessive. Like that's, that's really where it comes down to like common sense. The other thing to compare it to is think about other fitness coaches. How much are they deducting those things? Cause that's essentially how the IRS works and how a lot of this, this audit process works is we're getting compared to people that are very similar to us. And they track all that based on, you know, when you, when you tell the IRS what type of business you're in, they use those codes to group us all together that are similar. Like people who are construction companies have very similar 
like they're, they're grouped together literally in the IRS's database and they look for people that are not doing things similarly. And this is one of the reasons why I, I caution people if they say, well, I'm just going to do everything out of one LLC. Just be cautious there because if one of your, if you have two businesses and one of them, let's say your fitness coaching business and the other one is like a construction business, the ordinary and necessary deductions are going to be very different. So you don't want to do something that's ordinary and necessary for your business, but because you categorized yourself differently than what the IRS was expecting, now you're raising red flags because nobody else in the fitness business is spending $50,000 a year at like Home Depot. You know, like, so whereas all of your colleagues would be doing that if you were a builder. So that's just something I want to remind people like, just use your common sense. Again, the home office, that's cool. If it's legit, do it. Dining and travel, if it's legit, do it. But just know when you're being excessive with it. And that also should be a function of the profitability in your business. So if your business is doing like $200,000 in profit, and if you have like eighty, ninety thousand dollars $90,000 in dining and travel, I would imagine your advisor, your tax advisor is going to have a conversation with you about that. Like, how much of this is legit, you know, like, cause you might be at this point causing some red flags. And if they are legit, then it's not a big deal, but just make sure you're doing all the record keeping as well. You have all your receipts, you've written on the receipt, what the person, what the event was, who was there, what the topic purpose was, things like that. And then obviously the receipt will give the rest of the information about where and when and how much. So, that's really where I wanted to go with all this. Again, I feel like the everyone is freaking out about this new budget that was sent to the IRS. Let me wrap up with exactly what I feel. And again, I am not on the inside track of the IRS. A lot of this is my opinion, but I'll just tell you what I see in the numbers. So if you look at the audit rates, and this is actually not just my numbers, the, like inside of this database, it went back from 2010 to basically currently. And really 2010 to 2017 is is the more useful data. Because again, I just explained in the beginning that that's where the numbers are actually real because the, the audit trail has, has sort of played itself out. But, and sorry, I'm trying to get the actual numbers as I talk to you, but from 2010 to 2017, the, the IRS has become very inefficient to our benefit. But unfortunately, that's just reality. Most of the audit rates have dropped between 50 and like 80% in, in the different like income categories and the different business tax return categories that, that we discussed. Okay. Yeah. I pulled up the data here. Yeah. So when an S corp return in 2010 was getting audited at 0.4%. By 2017, it was down to 0.2. Millionaires making between a million and five, they were getting audited at a rate of 8.2% 8, 8 in 2010, and it dropped all the way down to the number I gave you, 1.8. So they had a, almost a 78% drop in audit rates. So that's awesome for us, but you can see how the IRS is potentially getting back to where they were. And again, no one wants to get audited. Let me make that crystal clear. 
But what I'm trying to emphasize is that it might be getting us more back to what it used to be, not something that we're much more scared about. Now, that's what just that's just my opinion. Again, their, their enforcement, they're going to have, again, I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this, but it's on page 72, so I'll pull it up. Is it? I thought it was. So that's why I need like a co-host where they could be dropping interesting tidbits while I pull up the right page. But you know, I was trying to find the enforcement information. The budgets were, I thought I had it written down. I guess I didn't. It says it's on page 71, but it is clearly not here. That's what my notes say. <laughs> But from what I remember going over when I was looking at the, the numbers, their budget for enforcement is around $5 billion right now in 2021. That's going to be taken to probably closer to $10 billion. So more than doubling their budget, which is a little bit or about doubling their budget, which is kind of scary in my opinion. But it may because of the inefficiencies that they have at the IRS, it may not be as scary as I think people think only because of how the inefficient they've become over the years. So again, that's not super comforting, but it gives some relief in my opinion that maybe that they'll just be playing catch up to where they used to be in like 10, 12 years ago. So that's, that's all I have for you guys today. I really just wanted to break that down as best I could. If you have questions about it or or if you're getting concerned, you know, the main thing is you have to have your I's dotted and your T's crossed. If the day comes when you are audited, the process to simplify it is basically you're going to need to prove and reconstruct all of your income for them. So you need to have your records. You need to have bookkeeping, even if it's not professionally done, but you need to have your Excel spreadsheets. You need to have your receipt. And again, they're going to come asking. They're going to, to, to prove that your income is what you say it is. So hopefully this is helpful. If, if there's anything I can do to shine more light on this topic or anything I've talked about before, DM me. Again, it's at the Pat Darby, pretty active on Instagram, but like to help, like to educate you guys. Again, I thought this was a cool way to like really break down the data. Hopefully it was helpful to you and have a great week. Thank you for joining us this week on Build Your Wealth Muscle. The links mentioned in this episode are available in the show notes. For video clips and more information on tax and retirement strategies for fitness entrepreneurs, please follow my Instagram at the Pat Darby. If you found value in this episode, please do us a favor and share with a friend. If you tag me, that'd be appreciated also. Lastly, for help implementing any of the topics discussed, please book a call. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.